see them cutting their first album. It'll be called Haley and Claire Live at Southwood. So, however, we got them first, so that's cool. That was great, girls. I'm, I'm amazed. I thought it would. I didn't want it to end, but I have something to do too. So, I want you to know, though, the nerves don't go away. Where'd they go? The nerves don't go away. It just gets better. Let's turn to First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Our, my goal in starting this series, this short series at Christmas time, I began at what? This is the fourth session, was to go through First Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen, through chapter four, verse sixteen. Uh, so this morning we got a long run to make to get through part of this. We're just starting chapter four. Uh, what, what I call this series is all I want for Christmas. I'm being a little selfish, um, because this is what I want for you. Okay? Um, as a pastor, Timothy was given this book by Paul. Not only this book, but 2 Timothy also. And some of the things that Paul was, um, kind of given to Timothy so he would portray as pastor to give to his, his people and how he would, uh, deal with certain things that would arise. If you were here at the first class, we talked about Satan. I don't know how many people want to talk about Satan at Christmas time. But we did it in the first class, and guess what we're going to do in the second class? We're going to talk about Satan. I don't know what happens. This is the way God works things out. Um, and we'll see what, what interplay he has. But uh, here's what I want to do as a way of introduction. Um, I th- my quest for next year is to see more and more people studying the Word of God. Okay, it, it impresses upon me uh, that you care to make God's word your priority. I think uh, there is no reason this church should not be filled. We study the word of God. But we're also up against a few things that I know that are satanic. And we can see how church is going. And we're going to talk about those different issues as we deal with 1 Timothy 4 and some of the illusions we get from 2 Timothy 4. Uh, kind of interesting that are parallel a little bit. Um, but I think we as believers should be all about proclaiming truth to people. And you cannot proclaim truth to people if you're not in the truth. And the best way I've ever seen to give people truth is not you to speak to them, is show them this and let them read it to you. Um, I believe that the best way for them to see it is to see it from God's Word, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, um, so let me give you kind of a quick outline, just so you can think as you go through. We're going to go through First Timothy chapter four, but you can go through the rest of the book at your leisure. If you're looking at chapter four, my main outline topic for chapter four is the art of proclaiming truth. So you can see where I'm going in chapter four. I want us to. Uh, perform the best we can as we proclaim truth. So we got to have the artistry of proclaiming truth. Uh, I think the worst thing you could do is take your Bible and slam somebody upside the head with it. But you can let the Word of God slam them upside the head. Okay? In Acts, it's fascinating. They were so persuaded by uh, Peter teaching God's Word, the Word basically there has to do with a two-by-four hitting you in the head. That's what the Word of God will do. And I said, let that do its work. So the art, so chapter four is the art of proclaiming truth. Um, some will, in chapter four, some would fall from the faith, and we'll talk about that this morning. Our topic for the Sunday before Christmas is falling away from the faith, and that's important for us to look at that. 
we're going to talk, then the next part of chapter 4, we'll talk about nourishing words of faith. What are the words that nourish you in the faith? Your nourishment should come from not the buffet at Golden Corral, but your nourishment should come from the buffet of God's word. Right? Because I eat it and I taste it and I, and I consume it. It's, just, it's like honey to my lips. Think about those words. Uh, and lastly, Timothy is told to prescribe, to prescribe and teach these things. His, his main thing as a pastor of a church is to teach the word of God. I know some churches today, the pastor is the CEO of the business model. And that is just so wrong, you have no idea. They are to teach. Listen. If I do not teach you the Word of God, fire me. I don't care. That's what you should do. You should not come here if I'm just speaking platitudes and other things or telling wonderful stories, which I can do. Um, but that's not what this is about. And if you go to chapter 5, chapter 5 is the active sheep, or I call it sheeping sheep, because Timothy is but a sheep, but we know that is the act of shepherding sheep. Timothy's job is to lead the flock. And I learned something about leadership a long time ago. If the leader doesn't know where he's going, neither does the flock. And you want to be able to follow the leader to the place he's going, because he's got an arrival destination, and that's good. That's a good, good idea in leadership, any kind of leadership. Make yourself uh, clear to the people you want to follow you, where you're going, what your goals are, why you're doing certain things. In chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, is the advancement of the Christian life. You want to see how to advance in the Christian life? You go to chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Uh, and Then it goes on from there, the advantage of godliness. It's real easy. I've done them with all A's. Art, act, advancement, advantage of godliness in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 6. And then the assurance of instructing and guarding the truth. Paul ends this book by the, the, the ability to say, I'm instructing constantly in the Word of God, and I'm guarding the truth. I'm going to tell you something. In today's framework, we have to be guarding the truth. Because there's different truths out there. You know, and this is very important that we guard the truth as God purveys it through His Word. If we do a thor- if you were to be a student of church history and you did a thorough investigation of church history, here's what you find. Here's what you find, and I'm talking about not our church, but the church in general. Very, very generalized statement, okay? The church has failed. The church has failed. That's a wonderful Christmas story, isn't it? How is the church done in guarding the truth? How is the church done in, pre- in presenting the truth and, t- and teaching the truth? Failure. Failure. I want to say something. If I was looking for a church today, I'd be depressed. I mean, we shouldn't be as believers, but it's not a whole lot out there that will actually teach the Word. They'll teach a Word, but they won't teach the Word. And you say, how do you know? I listen to people. Every once in a while, I listen to people, and I say, poor people, I go to that church. And if people have problems with me, call me. I'll give you the phone number. Call me, because there's a problem. Teach the Bible. And teach it accurately. I think that's important. So the emphasis in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is in verse 6. So look with me at verse 6. And we're going to go backwards. And here's what I'm going to do so you know what's going on in chapter 4. What I'm going to do. We're going to go back and forth a lot. Because I think not only does the Word of God explain itself, but you've got to go back and forth to get the full emphasis of what's going on. But verse 6 says this. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. 
Timothy is given the uh, the basically the sepulchre, the the right rod to say you are to do this. These are the things you're to do, and the things you are to do is what to be a good servant. You are to you are to consistently nourish on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. Timothy has set a standard of following leaders doing what leaders do. He's consistently following. The words of faith, the faith, circle the word the in your Bible. It's not the words of faith. It's the words of the faith. And we're going to look at that in a minute. That's so important. Not the words of a faith. I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of faith out there. A lot of things to believe and a lot of understandings out there. And they all fall dismally short. But the faith is what we're looking at in the word of God. And he's, and, and, and it's cool to look at this. He's nursed on those words. His Basically, his blood type is Bible. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to get a yearly physical. How many of you have yearly physicals? I will promote those things. They're good to have. But they always have, they always have you take a blood test, right? And the blood test tells them certain things they need to do so they can feed you meds. Or, or basically put you on that list that says, yeah, you may be going to the end of life kind of thing. But you have this blood test to tell you what your makeup is like, who you are. It's, you know, you can do the DNA and all that stuff, what you're like and who you are. Uh, Paul is basically saying to Timothy, your blood type is Bible. You're nourished on the faith. And I think that's important as we as believers look at that. And when we talk about the words of faith, what does it mean? What does that actually mean? Now, in order to understand that, I want you to turn with me. Hold your finger here. We're going to be back. Go to Deuteronomy 18. I know this is going to sound really weird. Christmas and we're in Deuteronomy. We'll deal with that. I want you to understand something that, that most people don't grasp all the time. Is there are Hebrew words that are in the Bible for how people receive messages from God. Bear with me. And you'll see what I mean. So we're in Deuteronomy 18. And uh, now I see what happened to the girls. We're under the breezeway here. So Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, says, When you enter the land, now remember, Israel's wandering in the wilderness. This is when you enter the land, which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable Things of those nations. Now, I want you to understand something. The nation, what the nations were doing were detestable. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. They shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That's one way that they would hear communication from a deity. They would sacrifice their children. I don't know about you all, but that just doesn't sound really good to me at all. But there are some that still today, uh, I remember when Sadat's wife, anybody remember Anwar Sadat, leader of Egypt? She said, I wish I could have more children so I could teach them to be suicide bombers. Are you serious? It's true, you can look this up. But basically what she's saying is, for Allah, it's for Allah. So she was doing those detestable things. One who, div- uh, who uses div- divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a, so- or a sorcerer, or one who pe- casts a spell, or, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Now, these were all different ways to get knowledge they believed from God. 
Now, obviously, that's not how God communicated. And the reason I bring that up is because I want us to see how God communicates. See, Israel was to avoid at every expense to listen to the gods of these nations. Avoid it. They were not to listen to those who practice it. Now, look, we're not done. Go to verse 14. For those nations which you shall dispossess, in other words, get rid of, listen... Listen to those who practice witchcraft and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. Do you understand what God was doing for his nation? He was protecting them from false information. You are only to listen to me. I think that's a good paradigm. How often do we say we're only listening to God? Verse 15 says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your countrymen and you shall listen to him. And we know that is, this is a picture of what Christ would be, the prophet. Okay? And I think that's important for us to see that. Verse 18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which I, he, he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. We are to listen to God's word. Only... I I don't know how important I can make this and how much I can ram this home that we are to listen to the words of God and and His only. Verse 21 says, And you shall say in your heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How how do we know when something's real or not? Well, we got a good barometer. Israel didn't. We have something called the canon of Scripture. This is the finished book that God wants us to have. Every one of us have this. These are God's words. This is God's voice put, in, put into writing. And we have before us the very words God wants us to know. And I think that's important for us. So if we're doing Bible study, Bible study is this. Anybody ever write down what Bible study is? Bible study is this, it's so easily. Reading God's words with your eyes wide open. That's it. How difficult is that? It's not somebody saying, what do you think about this? Or what is it? Read what it says. It's the best way you get information. And somebody once asked me, how do I get information? I read it. I read it. And you think about certain things. And you and you kind of grasp what God's doing because there's certain things. Uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection. I told the first class in April. There's things about the resurrection that we don't have all the information about. The, the day that led up to the, the day before, what is it, day before the crucifixion, the day of the crucifixion, the day when, when nobody's going to the tomb, those two, day and a half or two days, whatever it might be, there's something still going on. And then the, lady, the women arrive at the tomb and guess what happens? He's not there. They went to the wrong tomb. How many would believe that? See, I mean, because there's, there's information out there. How about Jesus never died on a cross? He only swooned and he got up when he put him in a cold, cold, damp tomb and he got up and walked away. I don't know about you all. If I took the beating Christ did, I would have just died for that. But he took a beating, but he got up and walked away after crucifixion. What are you talking about? Because people just don't believe. Because they don't read God's word. And I know that has nothing really to do with this morning, but I want us to be students of the word. Because when we say the words of the faith, remember I told you circle of the faith, words, these are words that express what we believe. These are words that exp- convey to us the understanding of the faith. What is believed? What is the content of your belief? If you were to sit down, and I, uh, I was dealing with some kids last week that took their midterm finals, and they were coming in, I said, how would you do? And he said, one kid, he looked at me, he goes, I don't know. 
How do you don't know? They ask you a question. Did you answer it? He goes, yeah, but I'm not sure the answer is right. Why? You should have been doing what? Studying. You should have known these are the right answers. Or this, I'm not too sure about this one. Uh, it's not that hard to take a test. But if we were given a test on God's word, how would we pass? What would be our score? I know it sounds, you don't do that. Yeah, you can. What do you know about what you believe? What do we know when we come to the word of God? These are the very words of scripture. Do we know that God is using this to express his mind to us? This is God's mind to us. You know, there's things in the Bible that went on in secular history. It's not written in the Bible. It didn't make the Bible. Because God says, well, that's not important for what I'm trying to bring forth. This is important. This is the facts you need for life and godliness. You don't need those other things. For instance, there's a lot of philosophers that were around in the first uh, part of the century uh, that were making fame and fortune in the Greek thinking and basically don't read them because they didn't make the Bible. You know, there's a whole school out there, Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato, and all these guys that were just really great thinkers, but they didn't think God's word. I think that's important for us to grasp. So when we get to 1 Timothy, so go back with me to 1 Timothy. i got a lot of pens in my Bible. The winds of Kilimanjaro. I'll move that, that's all. It's fascinating that we have in verses 1 and 2 something that's predicted that we're seeing happen today. People say, I don't believe in prophecy. How many people have ever said, I don't believe in prophecy? Well, we're going to see, good, <laughs> nobody raised, good. Okay, I believe in prophecy. And I believe some prophecy is being fulfilled today. Let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention. Now remember, this is from verse 6, the faith, the, underst- the biblical understanding we have, what is believed, they'll fall away from the faith, paying attention, Here's what, instead, this is what they're paying attention to, Deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So here's what's going to happen in the last days. Church! I just said a dirty word, didn't I? Some of you guys are looking at me like, what? Well, I went to church. No, see, we're the church that comes to a building. You understand? Some people are going to church this morning and they're expecting that to be the, the nod to God moment, the thing they need, and they're going to get, they're going to get human opinion. And I think that's a bad thing. And that when the Spirit emphatically says something, which is opening up this chapter, we have the root of, of what we need, the source of our, th- of, that we should follow this thought. The Spirit explicitly says something. Now, we got to ask ourselves, is this the human spirit? Or the Holy Spirit. Right? Because there's no adjective there. And I think it's important for us to see what's being said is prophecy. It can't be the human spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. Most spirits, human spirits, wouldn't think this. Most people don't care. You know, they'll, they'll go to some place today and they think they've done right with God. And then they'll go home and watch football and forget about faith. Not that there's anything wrong with football. Um, but faith is the most important. Uh, I don't believe there's football in heaven for all those that are going to go, oh. There's a letdown. I don't think baseball's in heaven either. Um, when we have teams, they get together and they pray for the game. And they kind of say, well, God's on our side. No, he isn't. I don't think God cares about the outcome of any games. God cares an outcome of what you do with the faith. Do you understand? 
And I think that's important for us to grasp this. But it says he explicitly or expressly says something. It's interesting, the word for this in Greek is the only time it appears in the New Testament. So it's called a hapax logomena. That's your big word for today. Basically means it's the only time this word appears in the New Testament. Okay? So why use a big fancy word? Because it says, makes it sound like I'm smart. That's all. So this hapax logomena, uh, but to, to, to get this understanding, you've got to go to extra biblical material, because obviously Greek is a widely used language. It basically doesn't mean expressly or explicitly. It also means at a specific time with clarity. So at a specific time, the Holy Spirit, with clarity, expressly said something. I think the impact is all of that. He's saying in this prophetic voice concerning the coming apostasy or heresy, I think they're closely intertwined, we'll talk about that in a second, that comes, that the, that the Spirit says there's specifics that will happen, the nature of what kind of departure this will be. What kind of departure is happening today? And we're going to deal with prophecy. What's happening today? And I think that's important for us to grasp. So let's talk about heresy and apostasy. Because it makes a great Christmas uh, sermon, doesn't it? What did you talk about on Christmas, you know, before Christmas? Apostasy and heresy. Which I think Christmas really is part of anyway. That's a personal opinion. Both of these, heresy and apostasy, both of them renounce what one believes about the Bible. Somehow it's a departure from the faith the Bible has. Heresy is a result of making a wrong choice among competing ideas. Heresy becomes apostasy when a person deliberately decides to reject Bible truth and maintain and promote false ideas. Now, it's inter- if you go in the Bible, so turn with me real quick. Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter Hold, hold your place in 1 Timothy. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Now, the word heresies, if you're writing notes, is either spelt A-H-I-R-E-I-E-S-I-S, a heresies, or put the H in front, heresies, because um, the, the H is a, a hard uh, breathing mark. So it's just a breathing mark. So some people put the H in front or the H afterwards. Uh, but the idea here is in... in Second Peter 2 1, it says, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So basically, false teachers arose at the beginning of the church, where, where Peter is at that point in the church, and guess what? They're here today. Uh, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, there's that word, heresies, even, den- here's what it is, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and sometimes not swift enough. I added that part. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, they, the way of truth will be maligned. Now, I'm gonna say something, and I'm not being judgmental, I'm being biblical. If you look around you, you will see these. There's churches today that promote sin. Promote sin. It's just as easy as that. If the Bible says it's sin, stop. We can't promote it. So if somebody says, well, you know, we're welcoming and affirming. I am too. I welcome you to church anytime you can, and I affirm the word of God. The rest of that stuff is sin. I'm not going to say you can do what you want to do. God will deal with you. It is sin. 
Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) There you go. You're allowed to be a little charismatic than a couple days before Christmas. I'm going to tell you something. We are not to promote sin. We're all sinners. We all have issues. But to blatantly say, we accept it, no. Know what Jesus said? He said, go and sin no more. He said, you have a built-in stopper. Stop this. And when people, and I've dealt with people, so don't tell me it doesn't happen. When they look at you right in the face and say, I do not want to stop. I said, therefore, there will be a penalty for sin. Do you understand that? I know that sounds strong. But when we have this, we have this idea that these false teachers will promote things that sound good and, and accept it. We want to be accepting of everybody. Um, we should. We should be open arms, accepting of the person, not the sin. Do you understand that? I think that's very important for us to see that. Um, let's look at the idea of apostasy, because that's right here in our text that we're using in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, fall away. In your t- if you're using a New American Standard Bible, it says, fall away. The word there is the root word. I mean, the full word is apostasy we get from the, this word. But the root word is aphistomy, basically, and it's future, middle, indicative. Now, I find that fascinating. Because a future tense is something in the future. Okay? Now, I don't promote this, but if anybody was to buy a lottery uh, card today, I would tell them you're going to lose. Now, I'm not a prophet. I just know the law of averages. And if you came back and say, you, uh, you won, okay, listen... It's, it's a possibility, uh, but it's probably not going to happen. But if you go out and buy a, 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 that kind of an, a deal in the future, and you, without knowing what's going to happen, you're going to probably fail. Now, here's the thing. Future indicative says, I know the future. God is saying, I know the future. God knows the future. Now, I don't know if you know this. This is fascinating, because I can't even tell you what's going to happen in 20 minutes. I, can, I will tell you this. I won't finish. I got, a po- I got a point we're getting to, and we're almost there, but I want to finish what I want to do this morning, so I already told all the teachers, if we go to one, we're okay. They all know that. Y'all just wait, I escape now? <laughs> I still got time to beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Um, I, that always goes off horribly, I know. Um, but when we look at this, he's saying not only is the future known, but you're involved in that. The middle voice basically says there's an involvement in, with with those people that are in that. So it's a deliberate, here's what it comes down to. It's a deliberate act, I believe, of a believer who knowingly and deliberately rejects revealed truth regarding core doctrines of the faith. Core doctrines of the faith. They do it deliberately and it will happen in the future and God knows this. Who are they? They're out there. I pray for myself, and you should be praying for me, and you should be praying for others, because we don't want them straying from the faith. And if I come here and teach you a doctrine that doesn't sit right, you need to address it. That's your job. Your job is not to just believe what I teach, but verify and do what? You may be a heretic. You may be falling into a pot. Be careful, pastor. And if we disagree on theology, not core issues, but a theological, like you say, uh, you're an amillennialist, and I say, you're wrong. And you say, you're a pre-trib guy, and you're wrong. And I say, good, this church is going to teach pre-trib, deal with it. But that's not a core issue, okay? I believe it's important, but it's not a core issue. 
If you tell me the church has replaced Israel, I'm going to tell you there's the door. Because that to me is a key issue. Okay? An important issue. Because I don't know how you do that when you read something that says Israel. That's a whole different thing. Um, but it's important. Look over chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 18. I love when the book itself has an example for us to see something. Now, one of the core issues is like the deity of Christ, his atoning work on the cross, his work that provides salvation, his becoming sin for us who knew no sin, so that he could give us... These are core doctrines. Uh, I think anybody that takes uh, away from that is insidious, and I think sometimes apostasy is not only subtle, but it's quite devastating in its effects. And I've seen churches destroyed by the simplest things. But in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18... This, this I command, command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that in them you may fight, fight the good fight, keep, keeping faith and of a good conscience, which some have rejected. They've rejected the faith. Some who? I don't know who the some are. Well, that's an interesting word. We'll look at it in a minute. But who are the some? Um, that some have rejected and suffering shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these, so he only names two, so two were sums. I don't know if that's a lot to you. Uh, if I, we had two that went into apostasy here, I'd be a little upset. It says, the, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan. Now, now this isn't uh, a delivery system that says now Satan can... Have, basically, he said, I'm letting them go. They're not in this congregation. We're not, we're not going to be involved in them. Just go your own way. There's the door. Don't let it hit you when you leave. And then there's cast into Satan's cosmos, and can, Satan can do what he needs to do with them until they what? So they may be... Listen, there's a point. So they may be, uh, may be taught not to blaspheme. So what they were doing was blasphemous. And... Paul said, I let, Paul said, Timothy, let them go so they can be taught something. So they can come back. We never send some people away because we say, oh, I would never want to have anything to do with you. Don't ever come back. Uh, that's not what it's about. It's for them to find out where they are spiritually. So this word basically for apostasy means to fall away, cause to revolt, uh, mislead, uh, withdraw, or desert. This is going to happen in the future from Timothy's time. The, and that's a future event. In Timothy's, it could be in Timothy's time, future from the time it's said. You understand? Or it could be after Timothy's time or all the way to now, because we're future of Timothy's time. And we got to understand the people who did this were responsible for what they were doing as they were falling away. And when you're responsible, you've got to know that the effects will, will affect you. You're responsible for what's going on, and the effects will, ha- will occur to you. And this is happening Today, they're straying from the truth. So basically, where we're at in verse verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly, explicitly, or specifically says in latter times, uh, He states that there will be some who depart or apostatize the faith. So we're in a time today of a departure from the faith. Now, people will say nice little things like, uh, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's one of those... Nice little ditties, and we all want to repeat that. But it's kind of really meaningless, right? Unless we understand who the Jesus is that we're speaking of. Because there's a lot of people that have apostatized and have a Jesus of their own making. You know? And we've got to be very careful 
uh, with that, but I, I think it's fascinating. The Bible tells us how this will occur. So look at chapter 4 of Timothy, verses 1b, and we'll pick up there through 3. Um, it says, this falling away, they will be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That in the last... Now, I want us to understand something and, 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 and grasp this. This was prolific in Timothy's time. The church was still a young uh, body of believers. It had, it had gone from a predominantly Jewish source to now predominantly Gentile. It had been moving out because of the, I believe more than anything, the Romans and their way they did... They guarded their prisoners and how they changed um, troops all the times. So I think the word had spread, and now we're talking at church at Ephesus, and everybody knows about the church of Ephesus. It was a godly church, strong church when it started out. By the time we get to Revelation, they will have left their first love. How does that happen? We're talking maybe 30 years, give or take. Uh, Chet once said something. I don't believe Chet, but Chet said this. Uh, prophetically, he said, I think in 2001, Chet's a friend of mine who pastored a church in Kansas City, passed away um, in 2001, so maybe it's, no, it was a little bit before 2001 that he said this, but he said in 50 years, this church will be apostate. Now, I look at it, and I told poor Will, he's on 30 years left on the clock, okay, because he's pastoring that church. But I would say this, I could say that about any church. Unless they do what? Fight the good fight and keep the faith and make sure they deal with things that are apostate or heretical. All those things need to be addressed. Paul is writing to Timothy to guard, protect, and teach the truths of the Word of God. Paul taught Timothy, and because the Holy Spirit clearly states explicitly that in the last days or the latter season, I like that, the latter season, that there will be a falling away of these things because, let's put the framework on these verses before I get into the because. Go to, t- go to Acts chapter 20. Hold, hold your finger here. I want to show you something. Because it's not the first time Paul has set up this paradigm. Okay, so go to, go to verse 20. I mean chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. 2017. And since we're, here's where we're at. Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Tim, Paul is at Ephesus in chapter 20. You with me so far? There's the commonality. Okay. Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came from upon me through the plots of the Jews, how, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he kept the gospel the gospel. Right? Most important thing. And now, behold, bound in the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. That's good to know, right? You know what you're in for. Verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account to dear, to, as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Boy, that would be really good, right? 
Everybody just solemnly sticking to the good news of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that all of you among uh, uh, that, that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to, to you this day: I am innocent of the blood of men, for I do not shrink from declaring. Listen, I do not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves. Wait, this is Paul basically starting to pass the gauntlet. He says, "Be on guard for yourselves and." This is the elders of the church. And for all the flock among which, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which is, he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after me, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You understand what that's saying, right? Savage wolves today don't look like savage wolves. I mean, if you guys were to confront a savage wolf, you'd what? Don't run, but you turn slowly. <laughs> Okay? But notice what he says, verse 30. And from among your own selves men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. That means every day he taught the word of God, and day he wasn't sure when he left, they would stick to it. Do you understand that? The daily interaction with the Word. We don't do that every day. That's not what we're, we're, how we're set up. If you guys want a Bible class every day, show up, we'll do something. But that's what Paul was doing every day somewhere, house to house, he was teaching. Verse 32, it says, Now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, Paul was saying this in Acts. Now he says, you know, it's fascinating. He says, be on alert. Basically, he says, be vigilant. Stay awake. Could you imagine being on guard for something? You're sleeping through guard duty? That's that's horrible. Roman guards were put to death if they fell asleep on guard duty. So if you were going to fall asleep on guard, you'd be put to death. How would God think if you're supposed to be guarding the truth and you're just not alert? You're in a stupor. Now, it's fascinating. It says some will fall away. Some. Some. What's the some? What does some mean? I always have problems with words that, like, some. Because someone, I mean, when we talk about some, it's, it's an amount of people, so we've got to put a number on it. Is some the most? Is it partial? Is it just one? Is there a problem with one falling away? I would think yes. But I th- secondly, not only is it numerically, it could be pro- pronominally. In other words, it could be just an adjective describing a large group. It's some fell away. See, they, that's the some group. It could be objectively. In other words, we can call them the some departers. Who left the some departers? Now, uh, please, some of you have gone to this church for many years, many more years than I've been around, and probably be here many years after I'm gone. I don't know what my departure date is, but you can always prepare for things anyway. Um, but don't look at people that left Southwood and say, oh, they're departers from the faith. No, we have problems in, in churches today. People don't know how to get along, so we have divisions, we have schisms. People leave churches and you ask them why. They'll tell you 10 years from now, I don't know why, but the, you, know, you don't know who was there. And I say that's the most stupidest excuse I've ever heard for leaving a church. You either fix the problem in-house and deal with a theological thing or fire the guy in the pulpit. It's as easy as that. 
if you left, you're running from a fight. Fight the good faith. I want Southwood to be a, 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 a place in Tulsa that you're taught the word of God. If we falter, fix it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't leave it. You leave it, you're basically giving up the, the ship for something else. I love people that have told me in the past, we're leaving for a youth group. You'll find the youth group, but you'll lose your faith. Do you understand that? Because you didn't make the God's word the priority. I'd rather somebody come up to me and say, I think you're teaching the worst thing. I don't believe anything you're saying. I hate the way you teach the word of God and leave. Good. Bye. See you. You understand? I'm not, I'm not easily, I'm kind of a tough guy. I can take these things. Whatever. Leave. But if you're telling me you're leaving for something like a better nursery, not you, but a better nursery, don't be redunculous. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Okay? You leave a church for what reason? They're not teaching the Word of God, and if you can't fix it, yes, leave. But you come to a church because it teaches. Not because it has wonderful pews and ornate buildings and wonderful stained glass, and we have good singers. We're getting developing our singing, but you know, overall, we're not really... We, we have issues with certain things, and I know that. But we're not here for production, right? We're not here for, oh, wow, they have such a great program. You want a program? Go see a movie. That's all I see. There's plenty of things to divert your, your minds, and, and there's some good, basically good film companies that are doing Christian films out there. If you want Christian films, you can do whatever you want. You want to be in a place that will get you enough to salt your appetite to go study the Word of God. And once in a while, I hope you, I make you mad as the bejeebas. I can't say the other word. Mad as, yeah, mad as hell that you go home and study the Word of God. Go study it. You want to say, hey, pastor, I think you're wrong. Good. Let's sharpen each other. Because if I'm right all the time, I have issues. But when we talk about this sum, in First Peter chapter, I mean Second Peter chapter two, we looked at the sum becomes the many. And I don't know what the difference between some and many is. I have issues. I like numbers. I'm a numbers guy. Tell me, you know, seven percent left and then ten percent left. Okay, so some to many went three percent. You kind of get what I'm saying? But let's ask the question in light of what we know thus far. How many today are in solid places where they're getting to taught the basic, just the basic Christian doctrines? How many people do you think of that say, go to church today, that are filling up churches uh, maybe bigger than us? Uh, lots are bigger than us. Even though, believe it or not, we're a little above average in size. I don't know if you know that. Um, but when we talk about large churches today, how many of those are getting the basics of the Christian life? Okay? Therefore, the sum can be the many, and a lot can be easily strayed because it's easy, it's done out there. You know what the number one book I find at yard sales? I know this is goofy stuff. Huh? The Purpose Driven Church. I I know somebody's going to call me up and say, well, that's a wonderful book. No, it's not. But it is a big seller, isn't it? I have seven in my library. I'm waiting till I get a certain number and I'm going to have a purpose-driven bonfire. Okay? But it sells well. Because you know why? Because it tickles people right where they're at. It tickles. It's a perfect place to get some, a little bit of false doctrine. Because you know what the church, when the church, listen, I'm going to give you a little insight. When the body of Christ gathers together, it's not to be, give out the gospel and to bring people to the Lord and be seeker friendly. That's not the church. That's a business model. You understand that. 
The church is to come together to equip the saints to go out. I read Ephesians 4. It's very easy. Read Ephesians 4, Rick Warren. That's the guy's name that wrote the book. So I don't leave any stone unturned this morning. I figure i got to pick on somebody. Okay? That's what the church is to do. And you are to be equipped to go out and give the gospel to people. Bring those seekers in. Make them believers that grow in Christ's likeness. If all I'm doing is teaching seekers, at some point I'm watering down the gospel. You know that's going to happen. Right? Okay. So we have this idea of who these, who these victims become. What is the source of this departure? So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says they, they go to the doctrines of demons. These, these doctrines of demons are... Here's what you can really get more than anything if you're in the first class. We, heard, we talked a little bit about this. But basically, um, it's not demon possession. It's demons that are directing or, or helping influence and animate people that teach the wrong things or twist a little bit or add a little bit to the Word of God or take away a little bit from the Word of God. Uh, many people out there in the world think that Jehovah's Witnesses are Christians, that Mormons are Christians, that are Catholics that are Christians, and, and other various groups. They're all, if they go to the building, they're Christians. Uh, I grew up very Jewish, and I thought if you're not Jewish, you're a Christian. That's it. You know, it took me a while to figure out that when people were saying Jesus Christ, they weren't saying his name and calling upon him. They were cursing. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know who it was when I was like 10 or 11. I had no idea. Um, but, but we're looking at here someone who is teaching demonic doctrines. This does not make them demonic uh, themselves. It doesn't make them possessed. They're just a voice for Satan. I think that's important because here's what you do. According to 1 John 4, you test the spirits. You verify. You are called upon not to sit in a pew and warm a seat, but to test what you're being taught. To verify. Because here's what it comes down to. Satan and his his minions, his demonic followers, have a systematic theology. I don't know if you know that. I don't don't think you can purchase Satan's systematic theology anywhere. But, I th- but I, they do have a systematic theology. He has teachings. Therefore, he has victims that fall into that influence because they've come under this demonic teaching. And verse f- uh, 3 says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars. They're pretenders. These teachers come from people that are just doing pulpit, pulpit work. How did you get in the pulpit? Well, I figured I couldn't be an accountant, and this was a pretty easy job. I had my neighbors come up to me yesterday. I was doing some yard work. And they said, you know, a pastor does yard work? That's got to be hard. You do a hard enough job. And I go, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, that's not the point, though, that I'm doing yard work. I'm doing, some people just do pulpit work. What do you do? I just, I can, I can fill the pulpit for you. Somebody once called me up. I can fill the pulpit if he needs it. I go, okay, what do you do? Well, I got a certain set of sermons I go to different places with, and I fill the pulpit. I find that Horrible. Deplorable. I believe I grew up in. Well, Liz and I went to a denomination for a while that they change pastors every few years because they want the guy to take his five or seven years worth of sermons and go to a different place and give him the five. Just what challenge is that in there? You can I can come up with five to seven years worth of sermons and never touch that much in the Bible to be honest with you. How about you, Bobby? Think you can do that? Challenge is on, right? And then we'll send you to other churches, kind of thing. That's horrible. That's horrible. Notice what it says. He says, They were seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, 
who, who forbid marriage. Now, I think this is fascinating. Well, let, let me kind of give you what this is. First of all, th- these, are, these are called hypocrites. This is one of Jack's favorite words, so I'm going to try and do my justice with a hypocrite. Know what a hypocrite is? It's somebody who takes on a role. In, in old days, they just put on a mask. Okay? Um, I, I listened to an interview with Henry Cavill. Anybody ever heard of Henry Cavill? He's an actor. He was in uh, Mission Impossible 6. He was doing uh, a jump from one helicopter to another. I don't suggest this for anybody. First of all, I don't even want to jump out of a plane. It's flying. Why am I jumping out of it? But he's jumping from one helicopter to another. And he was asked, did you do that stunt? And he said, yes, I did. I'm saying, why? There's other people that die for that cause. He said, this is why he said this. He was a hypocrite. He didn't say it like that. He said, I wanted to be, his his character was called August Walker. He goes, I wanted to be August Walker in everything I did. He became August Walker. So if August Walker was going to jump, Walker, jump from one helicopter to another, Henry Cavill as August Walker is going to jump. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite fills the role perfectly, and you can't distinguish them from who they were supposedly are. They became that person. Uh, it's putting on the mask. It's used negatively only as a response of Jews to the pagan Greek stage. The Greeks were great at being hypocrites. So the Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, a bunch of hypocrites. See where that came from? Putting on an act. Hypocrites actually conceal their true identity and their secret sins by wearing a mask and act as though they're perfect, godly. A hypocrite, therefore, is never the person he or she pretends to be. Here's what I want for Christmas. So here's the first on the list. I'm getting there. We've got two pages left. We're doing good. So hang in there. You guys are doing great. For you to know doctrine so well that you immediately identify an error. That you know doctrine so well that the second someone opens up their mouth in hypocrisy or apostasy, you say, no, you're wrong. I'm leaving or getting out of this conversation or whatever. See, the characteristics, or we could say it this way, all I want for Christmas is to be fully grounded in truth. The truth. The faith. You got it? See, characteristics of these type of hypocrites is, is that they've changed, they, they forbid marriage. Now, you're going to say, well, it's people that, listen, we're in a day and age, marriage is a forbidden thing. I'm getting ready to do a wedding in April, and the first thing I ask these two, and I've known them since they've been, she's been like three, okay, a little kid, I've known them for a long time. I said, is your object to be married so you can get divorced? You know why I ask that? Because a lot of people are saying, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. Where next thinking come in? Because we're forbidding to marriage. Do you realize this, the rate of people having children out of wedlock, whether they're living together or not living together, has escalated in America? In the church, too. Not outside. In the church, too. That's forbidding to marriage. It's not only a cast of people that say, okay, the clergy in our uh, organization doesn't marry, we just do crazy things. I'm not going to mention who they are. Uh, it's in the news quite often. Uh, that's just not it. It's, it's basically forbidding, restraining, withholding anything to damage marriage. Do you realize marriage, I think, is irrevocably damaged even in the church today? So those of you that have solid marriages, God bless you. It's the hardest thing to do in this day and age. 
So one guy once got married and said, I joined the institution. I've been institutionalized. She tells me everything what to do. Okay? There wasn't, that wasn't Fletcher either. <laughs> not only that, we're in a framework today that marriage is so uh, not dealt with and not appreciated that women even have multiple children with multiple men outside of marriage. What are they saying about marriage? What are we saying about fatherhood? When we see so many people saying, Hi, Mom, and I don't know who my dad is. What, happened is, what has happened to the family unit? Because this is what's happening. People say, that's okay. You can, you can make that choice. You're allowed the freedom. You can just do whatever. I, I grew up in a day and age, Ozzy, uh, let's see, Desi and Lucy slept in separate twin beds. Remember that? Amazing. Now where are they? Desi and Lucy are no more. <laughs> they went their separate ways. And now they're doing anything they want. And the major word in society today is we hooked up. To me, that used to be a trailer and a truck. Or, tra- or two trains, they hooked up. When people say people hooked up today, I thought, yeah, they're hanging out. No, you know what that is, right? I don't have to explain to you. You all have Facebook. I don't. Secondly, the, secondly, they abstain from foods. Now I'm not calling down vegetarians. I could care less. But they abstain from fruit, certain foods as a source of, of being more godly. You know, I had this... Uh, Email back and forth with a local pastor about Lent. A Baptist guy doing Lent. Now, I'm going to say something. It's not biblical. I know people are going to be offended. Lent is not biblical. Um, but when you take it on as a Baptist church and say, we're, we're okay, what you're basically saying is Catholic church is okay. We can be Catholic. You realize that's dangerous. That's apostasy showing its head because heresy is already out the door. You understand? And I told him, I called him down, I said, you, you shouldn't be doing this. It's Catholic. Oh, no, we're just, we're just, we're just honoring it because we want a framework. Use the Bible. Talk about Easter in, the, in a biblical manner, what the crucifixion meant, the importance of the resurrection. Why are you talking about Lent? And, and I want to say something. Where is fasting commanded in Scripture anywhere? Where's, where's, where is Fish Friday in the Bible? I just want to know. Now, I am on my personal Lent, because I have a blood test to take in a few days, and I figure I'm not going to have any red meat. We're not pushing this over the top. I'm going to cheat. But I'm dying for a burger. Because the more you say, you know, somebody's going to say, no, I don't know. I've been told, don't. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to affect the test. I want to cheat. Um, but this is the the thing I find important, and I want, I want to be clear in here. When we have these false doctrines that are coming into the church, it's hard to correct people. It's hard to change that. It's hard for them to become biblical because they've been so ingrained with tradition, with thinking patterns that are not biblical. They've been taught secularization. So when they come into the church and the church says to them, marriage should be honored. God has created this institution, one man and one woman for a purpose. Whatever happened to death, do you part? And I know some of you women want to kill them. I understand that. But what happened to death, do you part? What's the reasons now for divorce? 
Now, this goes on in verse 5 to tell you you can pretty much eat anything you want. I don't think a diet book has ever been written on 1 Timothy chapter 3 because God has created to, everything to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. If it is received with gratitude, accept liver. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. So second, all I want you, all I want for Christmas is to know doctrines so well that you immediately are identify error. Did I already say that? The second one, see? Did you get it the first time? Now here's what I want to finish this morning. Ready for this? I want to touch on something because next week I want to get Timothy's priorities. But here's what I want as we look for Christmas. Here's what I want for all of you. Timothy had a priority list that Paul gave him in his book. And I think if we don't get this, we're going to see how important establishing, when you establish the faith and a framework of what is believed, you can't sway from that. Nothing will persuade you to go to the other side. Okay? Here's number one. Ready for this? In cha- I don't, you, know, I, you can write down chapter and verse. It's up to you, but I'm going to give you a list. And then we'll end on this. Chapter one, verse three says, Timothy, you need to be doctrinally correct. There is a doctrinal correctness. I know people don't like that, but here's what the Bible says, and if you don't believe this, you're wrong. I don't know what's wrong with saying that. People don't want to be told, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. When I read a book, uh, whatever it may be, a Christian book specifically, and I look at it and I go, doctrinally wrong, I put it in a pile. If anybody wants to see it, it's in a drawer in my office. It's a pile of doctrinally incorrect books that will be added to the purpose-driven bonfire when I make it. I want to YouTube it, because that'll be really cool, right? What are you doing? I'm burning the books. Okay? Secondly, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.10, to promote sound doctrine. Promote sound doctrine. We can say it like this. This is biblically health-giving teaching. You want to be healthy spiritually? Promote it. Thirdly, in, in 1.18-19, fight the good fight. Keeping the faith is a fight. Do you understand that? It's pugilistic fisticuffs. Isn't that fun? It's a struggle. It's not easy. And he says to Timothy, fight it. Keep the faith. Because people have been shipwrecked in the faith. They've run aground. Timothy, fight the good fight. Paul says it numerous times in First and Second Timothy. Fight the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight? It's a struggle. You know, it's, it's out there. If you don't believe it, listen to people, what they say. And you say, that's not biblical. Where are you getting that? Because it sounds good. It's tradition. Chapter 3 says, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Chapter 3, verse 13, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1, those will fall away from the faith. Don't be like those. We we discussed it a little bit this morning. Chapter 4, verse 6, point these things out to the brethren. Now, that's not a pastor-only job. Some people will read Timothy and say, this is what the pastors do. He does this. Nobody else does that. Along with the trash, the water problems, whatever goes on in church, pastor's there to do it. And if we leave the garbage, he can put his foot in it or take it out. No! This is for everybody. I think this is important for us to get. We are to uh, point out these things to the brethren. We can nicely say to a fellow believer, 
what you believe can't be found in the Bible. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Four, chapter 4, verse 13 says, give attention to the public reading of the word. Public read. We did it this morning. We, we've done it when we're teaching. We publicly read the word. You know what happens when you actually read something out loud? Something in your mind kicks in. How many of you used to go to English class and your teacher said, you've got to read aloud. Everybody in class has got to read aloud. And the first thing I said is, I hate reading aloud. I'm a horrible reader. And look at the job I got stuck in. I didn't want to read anything aloud. Everything I, you know, when you get up front, Haley and Claire, you know, you'll get up front and read. Everybody's looking at me. But he says, this is what you're to do. 416, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Pay close attention to yourself. Be a self-checker. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? How do you, why do you believe what you believe? There's nothing wrong with self-check. And to what you're teaching. So if you're in a teacher position or you're teaching your kids or you're teaching your family, fuller family or whatever, are you staying doctrinally correct? Chapter 6, verse 1. Let your do- let, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Don't let your doctrine be spoken against. If somebody speaks against what you believe, stop them. Say, prove me wrong. Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I love when Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. It's a great test. You get five minutes, I get ten. It's at your door. Otherwise, I ask them a very simple question. If, this conti- if you want to continue this conversation, give me your home address. Think about that for a minute. That changes the whole conversation. They'll keep it short. Okay? And then you give them, you're wrong, this is why. And show them the Bible. Your Bible, not their Bible. Get them a true Bible and look, here, what it says. Timothy's also said, as a pastor, do not advocate a different doctrine. Agree with sound doctrine. Agree with sound words. Agree with health-giving doctrine. Last, one of the last things Timothy's told, flee, pursue, fight the good fight, take hold of the word. Hold fast to it. In verse 21, the last, one of the last verses in first, I think it is the last verse in first Timothy. Don't, do, don't go astray from the faith. And I want to end with this one. Here's what Timothy's told. Timothy's young. He's about 30 something. He says, take care of your family. Or else you're worse than an unbeliever. It starts at home. It starts at home. Note that faith and doctrine are used 21 times in six chapters. 21 times in 1 Timothy. This words of faith and doctrine are used. Timothy is to focus on the faith and doctrine. So here's the last one of all I want for Christmas, for, for the, before Christmas. Be biblically based believers burgeoning on God's Word. You should be feasting every day on the very words of God. Do you? Every day. Find things in the Word of God that that have your thinking. Meditate like David day and night. And I said I'd go ten minutes over. It's exactly what I did. We're going to stand and pray so I can keep my Word. So stand and let's pray. Next week, uh, we, we had... We had a, a closing song. We'll pick that up on our favorites. How's that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning for your wonderful words through Paul to Timothy. The encouragement that Timothy was given by Paul 
of, of dealing with the faith, watching over the faith, guarding and being alert. Father, we are to do these things. Help us as we go through our daily life to be uh, those that are staunch believers that stick to the word, that are biblically based, burgeoning on the word of God. Father, we thank you for this, this time together as we sharpen each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace.